Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Hi, I'm Lee Campbell, and this is the fourth and final episode for this season of Get Me Pregnant, Mamma Mia's No BS Guide to Assisted Fertility. They say it takes a village to raise a child, but what about before the child exists? When a baby is so deeply longed for, but things aren't turning out as you planned, who can you turn to for support? How do you build your village? This episode is all about sharing the mental load and how to find support. We'll speak to IVF expert Dr. Manuela Toledo, but first, let's meet our guests, Max and Paris. Max is a trans man and he and his partner Paris had to move states to access the right IVF help for them. They've recently welcomed baby Windsor into the world, but the journey to conceive was a challenging one. Paris and Max, thank you so much for joining us. I start each episode with this question. Can you walk me through your fertility journey? So it started a while, it feels like years ago now. Well, we started sort of thinking about it pre-COVID. And then we started to, I guess, look into what we could and couldn't do and the options for us. And then COVID hit. Right. Which made it even harder, especially being in Victoria, because the legislations and the laws in Victoria are a lot more strict than any other state, um, especially when it comes to sperm donation. Finding a donor. So I guess we had the option to stay in Victoria and wait for treatment to become available once the lockdown sort of eased. Or we had the option to go up to Queensland where the donor options were much broader, I guess. We could source sperm from overseas and also we could access fertility straight away because there was no lockdowns at all up in Queensland. When we talk about the timeline for assisted fertility, it varies, but for some it can be painfully long. And you were both staring down quite a long wait for treatment. So you made the decision to move from Victoria to Queensland to get access to the assisted fertility you wanted or needed. What happened before that point and what was the move like to be able to have IVF in Queensland? Well, we were lucky because we have family in Queensland. I guess that decision was made based on whatever we could do, like, to speed up the process, of course. Mm. And so we also wanted to get out of Melbourne after two years of lockdown. We were so hanging to get to sunshine and freedom. So when we found out that there was such limited donors in Melbourne, it was pretty much like a quick decision from there. We were like, let's Let's just get out of here (laughs) for so many reasons, but, you know, especially for quickening up the process of getting pregnant. And having such better, you know, access to donors up there and we were lucky we had family. So we did Mm. the two weeks quarantine and, yeah, we were just pretty desperate to get the ball rolling because it was Mm. already pretty stressful in in Melbourne. So we were really keen to just move and get it done up there. And we started IVF in quarantine. That's how we were just like, we're ready to go. So we started, we (laughs) took all the medications up with us and then we started in quarantine. As if it wasn't mentally hard enough. (laughs) 
I think lockdowns and quarantine feel like so long ago for some, but how did living through that Victorian lockdown impact your mental load? How do you begin to process all of it and make the decision to move? It was really difficult because we had a lot of friends who did IVF in Victoria and they didn't really bring that up as an issue at the time when we were having those conversations, I guess. It wasn't Mm. like a big thing. So when we jumped in and started looking into donors and the list was like six yeah. And three of them were unavailable at the time. So it was literally three. So the donor list was three, but it was a six-month wait to even look at those three. Wow. We were really deflated. Like we just sort of thought, well, like we've waited all this time and they could have given us a heads up and yeah. right. um, so we could plan something else. But, yeah, it was deflating. It was bad. Mm. There was a beautiful article that featured your family and your journey on Mamma Mia. And in the piece, Max, you said that because you're not the biological parent, it was really important for you to find what felt like, you know, the right donor. Can you walk me through your thought process to get to the decision of the donor that you chose and what things about that donor were important to you? I think it was a mixture of like both the physical side and I guess the personality side. My background is my mum's Portuguese, my dad's Sri Lankan. So I look quite sort of South American, I guess, (laughs) like a mixture of both. We went for a donor that had South American background. He was American born, but he had a South American background. His photo actually looked a lot like me, which was weird. So we're like, wow, okay. So he sort of stood out for that reason. But then when we sort of started looking into detail in each of the profiles, I trained as an architect and his dad was an architect. I was sort of a recording artist for a while and he is a sound engineer. So like, there was a lot of similarities there, so it ticked both boxes, I guess. Yeah, just us. felt meant to be. I think yeah. there was a few things like yeah. what won us over in the end. It's funny, you don't think that these things matter that much, but they do like a full questionnaire. Mm. And one of the questions was, why do you want to donate? And he said that he just wanted to help deserving parents become parents. Yeah. And um, he wanted nothing in return. It, yeah. And it was just really sweet and really kind. And we were just like, oh, that's that's the yeah. donut. We often hear that the IVF process can be quite an emotional one. I can relate. Sometimes it takes longer for people to fall pregnant and all the ups and downs to get to that point. What was that process like for you, Paris? Well, the hormones do definitely add a whole other layer, but it's already an emotional thing to go through, obviously, anyway. Once we made the decision, we did one round of IUI because I was younger and I I thought, you know, we were quite hopeful that it would work first go and it didn't. So that was really disheartening. And then we had the option of doing another round of IUI, which is basically artificial insemination, if people don't know, or going to IVF. And we chose to just go straight to IVF, which increases your chances. Because it already is such an emotional thing, we were like, let's just increase our chances and Mm. go for it. Obviously, it's more expensive, but the heartache of trying another IUI and potentially having that fail was too much. But then when we did the IVF, obviously the hormones is a whole other level of emotional like toll it takes. I can relate, yep. It's not only like emotionally draining but it's also so hard on your body and you're doing towards the end of the injections, you're doing like three injections a day. It's a grueling process and I think so many women are so strong and don't complain about it. It's just amazing and they do so many rounds and it's just incredible. Yeah, I don't know how some people do like 10 12 rounds like it's It's insane we were really lucky we ended up getting nine embryos which is insane and it worked first transfer it was hard but compared to so what so many people go through we were so lucky Mm. and we were so relieved yeah wow and max what was it like for you being the other half of this partnership you know maybe you're not the one doing the hormones but obviously you're experiencing things together what was it like for you 
I'm not going to say it was hard because it so wasn't um, in comparison. <laughs> Having to be in quarantine, that added yeah, a whole other true. level. So I actually can't comment to what other people would have felt in a normal situation, but it was intense. Like it was, you know, injecting her every day. And then to be honest, like she wasn't that up and down with the hormones at all. Like I think you did. Not on the pretty, outside. Well, <laughs> on the outside. You did pretty good considering the situation it was. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, just the injecting every day, that was sort of it for me. And I got used to it pretty quickly. Like yeah. I don't really get squeamish, which helped. Yeah, thank um, goodness. Yeah, but for me it was I just couldn't look. Going into this process, did you have any sort of examples or people around you that had gone through it before? I feel like we hear from a lot of hetero couples, but we often don't get to hear from people who don't fit that, you know, general mold. So did you have anything you could refer to or people who were in a similar situation sharing their stories? I think in terms of like couples that have got a trans partner, no, I, haven't, no I haven't seen any yet that mm. I'm aware of that talk about it or are advocates for it. Yeah, no. and especially like we had some friends that we knew directly, rainbow couples, but mm. queer couples, but not that we could access podcasts wise or anything I mean there wasn't really any examples of people sharing their stories that were like us I've seen on your Instagram your beautiful family and your baby is so gorgeous by the way but you shared a lot about your experience so why was that important for you to do that I think for us the reason we started that Instagram page was to be able to be that advocate not just for the queer community but for straight couples and straight people mm. to understand like I have some conversations with some straight friends and like the <laughs> questions they ask and it's so funny and it's like it's not their fault they don't know yeah. it's not a norm you know yeah. to have many queer couples you know sort of opening up like this yeah we just did it because we wanted to share every moment because there's so much that people don't tell you yeah. <laughs> straight or gay <laughs> yeah. it is intense and it's not what you're going to expect at yeah. all so But also we just wanted to share like how normal it is just for a couple like us to want to have a baby and to want to have a normal life, I guess. And I feel like there should be more couples sharing their story that Mm. are, you know, queer and trans going through just family stuff. I think the beauty of this podcast is that it helps people feel less alone because I don't think we realise how many people are going through assisted fertility and the more we can share and the more different stories about fertility, the better. This episode is all about the support networks or the village around you during the fertility journey, not when you've had a baby, but before. What support did you have around you? To be honest, in Victoria, like when we were here, we didn't have anyone because it was lockdown. So we hadn't seen another human in like Mm. months. So it was really hard, like from that side of things to be able to mentally kind of have someone to open up to. It was a lot of Zooms and stuff. So we didn't really have a support network as such. Like we talked to our family about it, but that was it. It was better once we got up. Once we got up there, yeah. But it was so important. Like you've got to have that. Yeah. If you don't mind sharing, did you access the counsellor or a professional along the way? Was one recommended to you? In terms of like actual personally, like both Paris and I see psychologists separately you know, for mental health when we need. Yeah, Um, so important. And we access them throughout the whole journey whenever we needed. What advice do you have for other people who maybe their loved ones or a friend is going through assisted fertility and they don't know what to do, what to say? Do you have any advice on how they can best support anyone going through it? Or do you have examples of people around you, something that they did that was supportive or helpful? So number one, (laughs) don't ask if they're pregnant yet. (laughs) But definitely being just emotionally conscious of what they're going through and um, Mm. you can ask them how they're feeling. I think it's important just to say how are you going or how are you feeling. I think it's better than avoiding it because chances are they're not feeling great. 
But you've got to be prepared for the answer, I think, as a friend as well, and just be there for them and let them vent. And without obviously asking an outcome, I think that's important because often they don't know or often it's not you know, going well or it's such a grueling process and it's such a long process as well. So you don't know where they're at in that. But just being there for them is so important as checking a friend in. or family and checking yeah. in. And But also every single person or couple's journey is so different. It's hard to know how people will react. Like, yeah. People could ask us anything at any time throughout the entire journey, but, you know, we know couples and people that probably wouldn't be so open to that and just want to be completely insular about the situation. They're a lot more sensitive, which is fair enough. It's just like, you know, judging it, judging the person and seeing how they take things. Mm. Thank you so much for joining us and being so open and sharing your story. Now it's time to hear from someone very well known to the Get Me Pregnant family, Dr. Manuela Toledo. Dr. Manuela has joined us on a number of episodes breaking down fact or fiction and cutting through the waves of information surrounding assisted fertility. And she joins us again today. Dr. Manuela, hello. Now, Manuela, this episode is all about sharing the load and finding support. So how important is it that people have a good support network around them when they're undergoing assisted fertility? There's no doubt, Lee, that we all need a support network regardless of what it is we're going through in life, but especially when it comes to fertility or infertility and miscarriage and especially recurrent miscarriage, it is really important to have a network of people or even just that one person that you can unload to. The problem is finding the right person or finding the right support group. Everyone means really, really well, but ultimately in my experience as a professional Patients tell me time and time again that they get the most support from someone who's actually been through it, who really understands what you're talking about. As you mentioned, as a fertility specialist, do you yourself consider yourself part of that support network or your team for people going through assisted fertility? That's a really interesting question. I think the short answer is yes, I would consider myself part of it. The problem is that as your doctor or as a fertility specialist, I'm kind of looking with my blinkers on. What can I do to improve your chance of being pregnant successfully and keeping that pregnancy and having the live healthy baby at the end of it? That's kind of where we're coming from. And so it gets quite technical at times. But I would also like to think that I can provide some emotional support as well to patients. I don't know how well you can do that in a consultation session, But I do say to my patients that if they're struggling or if they need to talk to me, they can always reach out via email or phone or Zoom or even face-to-face now we're allowed to. But I'm very lucky. I work with some very good fertility counsellors and some excellent fertility nurses who are very, very good at interacting with our patients and also providing that emotional support. So I think it it sort of takes a village, if you want, um, to provide that support. And ultimately, individual women and couples nominate what it is that works for them. They will tell us, look, actually, it really works for me talking to this particular nurse or this particular counsellor or talking to you as the fertility doctor, and then we will go with that. So it is important, like most things in medicine, it is really important to tailor it to an individual's need. For sure. And, you know, that's it. Fertility journeys are unique. Some people hoping to become a parent solo, others might require a donor sperm or donor eggs. How important is it to have the right support person for your individual journey? I think it's exactly what we've already touched on, that everyone's requirements are so unique and everyone's got a different background. You know, it really depends from 
what perspective you're looking at this fertility journey that you're on and what your past experience is. And nowadays also I think with social media and everyone is sharing their stories online and that can be a really positive thing, but there's just so much information out there, Lee, and it's about sorting through it. And one thing I frequently say to my patients is, you know, it's very interesting to hear someone else's journey or to take part in their journey via social media, but ultimately it may not be your experience and, in fact, it may not be relevant to you at all. We're bombarded nowadays and we need to be very careful to pick and choose the things that help us as opposed to the things that maybe are going to get us down. Yeah, too much out there. So you've got to put up your own kind of emotional barrier there for sure. I think a lot of people undergoing assisted fertility treatment might be hesitant to tell too many people. Do you encourage your patients to speak to trusted people, circle around them? I guess, again, it's individual, like... My husband tried to be helpful, but probably wasn't the most helpful, even though he was involved in the process. That's a really good insight, isn't it? That sometimes those closest to you are so well-meaning and they want to be supportive, but maybe they can't provide the support that you actually need. And that's okay. It's important to know that there are people out there who want to be supportive and maybe don't really understand what you're going through as an individual. What we often find is with family members or very close friends is that they're trying so hard to comfort you and really sometimes all you want to do is to be able to talk about it because a lot of infertility and a lot of recurrent miscarriage is unexplained. It's incredibly frustrating. We always try to look for a reason. It doesn't make it any better, but if we can explain why someone is not getting pregnant or why someone is having repeated miscarriages, I think it does help having that knowledge And often if we find a reason, we can then go that step further and say, well, let's try and manage this for you. Let's try and fix this so that in actual fact, the next pregnancy will be successful. Those closest to you want to provide a solution. They do. They want to fix everything and you just want to vent. Exactly. And all you want to do is talk. And, you know, it's okay to say to your significant other, you know what, I don't want a solution. I just want you to hear me out. And we all know that talking about something, even talking about something negative, can actually be quite therapeutic. You're normalising it, you're vocalising it, you're putting it out there. That is a really important step in in processing what's going on. Sure. And you touched on accessing counsellors earlier. I think that's a fantastic part of the process. At what point do you suggest that to your clients? Should they do that from the start? Is it when things are getting really tough? One of the issues we have, especially in Australia at the moment, is a lack of fertility counsellors. So a lack of counsellors who are specifically skilled in the area of infertility and IVF and recurrent miscarriage. And that's no one's fault. It's just the reality we live with at the moment. If I had my way, I would love my patients to have access to a counsellor throughout their entire journey, whether they're having a good or a bad experience. But often we don't refer you to the counsellor until you've had that negative experience. A lot of the patients we see have had some IVF fertility counselling leading up to their IVF treatment. So maybe they understand that they may have a negative outcome. That's good in the sense that when they then do need to see a counsellor, it's not the first time that they've touched base. I think you need to see a counsellor when you start thinking about it. If you're having that thought in your mind, that's the time to go and book. And I think also that there's no shame in seeking support, in seeking a counsellor or a psychologist in that 
it is such a unique process, stressful, emotional process, and that we shouldn't feel shame or that we have to just soldier on through it while we're going through the process. I agree wholeheartedly. There's absolutely no shame in seeking out counselling. In fact, I really worry about my patients who don't want counselling because it's normal as a human if you've had a negative experience, and especially with recurrent miscarriage, inevitably, as women, we always tend to blame ourselves. You know, it's always our fault. Is it something I ate, I drank, I thought, <laughs> something I did, you know, the extra kilometre I ran when I went jogging. And so it's really important to speak to someone who, although they're there to help you, they're quite objective. They're looking in as an objective observer and they can give you that valid feedback that this is not your fault. So I think there's a a tremendous value in counselling. And as I said earlier, I would love my patients to have routine counselling throughout their fertility treatment. And, And maybe that's something we can make a reality in the future. But it is important, again, to find the right counsellor, that person that you have a really good rapport with and that person you feel safe with. Because some of the thoughts you might have especially in the setting of infertility and recurrent miscarriage, some of the thoughts you have are often quite negative and they're not valid, they're not true, and and you need someone who can gently point that out to you and point you in the right direction. You also, Lee, have to be open to counselling. You know, that is so important. If you're not open to it and you don't want to be there, then, then it's not going to be a very good experience. Yeah, absolutely. Manuela, it's always so beautiful to chat to you. I love hearing your brain work. And honestly, thank you so much for your time. And thank you, Lee. It was great to see you again. Take care. That brings us to the end of the fourth and final episode of season three of Get Me Pregnant. Thank you so much for joining us. If you're new to the show, make sure you go back and listen to all the beautiful stories and helpful advice from season one and season two. If you've enjoyed this season, feel free to tell a friend about it or leave us a review. Five stars, please. (laughs) I'm Lee Campbell and the executive producer of Get Me Pregnant is Talissa Bazaz. Bye.